0: As the VET sector moves to focus on self-assurance, governance and quality assurance will become even more important. Audit Express is a leader in quality assurance and internal audit. Their team has decades of experience across the VET sector. They work closely with and are trusted by some of Australia's most prominent and highly regarded RTOs, TAFE institutes and dual sector universities. Contact them at auditexpress.com.au or by phoning 130-735541 From Claire Field and Associates, I'm Claire and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary Education sector. Welcome to episode 34 of the podcast. It's hard to believe we're now 6 months into dealing with and learning to adjust to the COVID-19 pandemic. It's not only changed the way we live and work, it's also fundamentally changed the way we teach and learn. What a time to be involved in the edtech sector. And it's with that, by way of background, that I was pleased to be joined by David Linke, the Managing Director of Edugrowth, Australia's edtech and innovation hub, on this episode of the podcast. David shares his observations on how both the Australian tertiary education sector and the edtech sector have been changed by COVID-19, and he puts that change into the broader context of the digital transformation of education. If you're interested in the edtech sector, then check out some of our earlier episodes this year when I was joined by Maria Spees from Holland IQ back at the start of the pandemic to get a handle on where the sector was at at that time, as well as insights from Cherie Diaz from Open Learning and Mike Larson from Studiosity. And just before David and I start our chat, here's a quick complimentary shout out to consultant John Briggs who I learned more from in one workshop in 2019 than I learned all year. Here's how he can help your organisation.
1: John Briggs Consultancy, leading Australia's reconciliation and Indigenous engagement journey. As a leader in training, consulting and facilitation, John works with audiences of all levels and backgrounds to help them understand political, legislative and economic aspects of Australia's Indigenous history and governance. John has adapted his workshops to allow them to be delivered virtually or in a COVID-safe environment. To find out more about John Briggs Consultancy, go to johnbriggs.net.au or call John direct on 0417 003565.
0: Well, joining me today on the podcast is David Linke, from Edugrowth, and we're going to delve into some of the edtech issues happening uh, in the sector, particularly given the impact of COVID. But David, first of all, welcome, and I would like you to start by telling us a bit about uh, your background and your current role at Edugrowth. Who, Who are you and what do you do?
1: Thanks very much, Claire. I really appreciate it. Um, I've been in the edtech sector building businesses through sales and marketing for about 20 years now. I started connecting technology into education as consultant mapping industry certifications into the VET in Schools program for the Victorian Government before being headhunted by one of the largest tech companies in the world, Renaissance Learning, to run their Asia-Pac operations. I led the turnaround of Renaissance Learning before spending 10 years establishing and successfully exiting a couple of tech companies that were focused on the K-12 school sector. I sold the last of those businesses in 2016, which then led me to a simple realisation that all of my professional connections were offshore or in the K-12 school leaders, and I, I needed to rebuild my personal network. So in early 2018, I met Patrick Brothers, the then chair of EduGrowth, and very quickly after that, Beverly Oliver, who was deputy chair. And I was excited by the prospect of leading EduGrowth on a new path that I got to define, and it was a fantastic opportunity to take the great work of the first EduGrowth team to truly do something big. And EduGrowth today is Australia's edtech um, innovation—sorry, education technology and innovation hub. We are focused on growing Australia's edtech ecosystem here and offshore. And the premise is very simple. Australian education can transform millions of communities around the world if we digitise that process faster and collaboratively. In practical terms, we help edtech entrepreneurs grow themselves grow their businesses whilst we advocate for the sector as a whole that might see us running events for entrepreneurs today training programs for them executive education workshops researching the market writing policy for government lobbying ministers in their offices advising international partners on our sector supporting investor decisions in the sector or working with government departments to grow their internal understanding so they can advocate for those external um, initiatives and programs in the future
0: Fantastic. And it's just to confirm, it's a partnership um, initiated by a number of the universities and by Navitas.
1: Absolutely. So Edugrowth was founded by um, five unis and Navitas originally in 2016. So that was uh, Griffith University, Deakin University, La Trobe University, Monash and Charles Sturt University. And then Navitas was also one of our foundation partners. And they're still involved with us today.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so thinking about with that by way of background, thinking about well where we are today and COVID-19 has clearly seen a massive shift to online learning, student support and assessment. Um, I guess w- what I've seen is both an expansion in existing partnerships, right? They've really um, scaled up between traditional education providers um, and the ed tech sector, and also new partnerships being struck, what what does that fit with what you've seen and what kind of trends have you seen um, in the last six months as a result of, of the COVID pandemic?
1: Yeah, there's absolutely no doubt that COVID has transformed the view around edtech and the way that they interact with education partners and providers. And, and in simple terms, Education providers have had to move to remote non-learning model, whether they wanted to or not. But let's be really clear that some of this experience is survival mode at the moment. They're just simply getting through what they need to do on a daily basis. And the pandemic has shown big differences in the digital readiness of different education providers, different sectors and different communities. Some education providers have been caught napping, really, in terms of their transforming their teaching and learning in a digital world, and um, are 100% catch-up mode, and others are really well advanced and doing incredible new things. You know, for example, if we stop and think about some of the payments in the um, English language sector, some of the VET and TAFE sector just haven't been able to transform and some of their teaching and learning may not actually get on on um, to a digital platform because it can't. But anecdotally, stories of school students sitting in front of Zoom for five or six hours a day are common, or students getting hundreds of pieces of paper at the beginning of term two whilst the school next door has been doing digital projects with between sister schools. And that sort of highlighted a, a, a real... Um, digital divide amongst communities but also around different providers. But the positive on all of that is that there's an acute awareness that digital readiness isn't an option anymore. Education providers need to be thinking digital at the same time that they're thinking about their face-to-face delivery. And EdTech provides such huge advantage to educators. You know, depending upon the way that you view EdTech, it could be about improving their understanding of what a student's doing today and what they've got to work on tomorrow, focus in the areas of their needs, deliver engaging lessons or deliver in different projects, using authentic assessments. So tech enable all these things, process or promote, sorry, cross-school connections and project work, understand where students need to focus instruction and attention, reduce the workload of the educator. So there's absolutely no doubt that edtech is really top of mind and edtech companies are really heavily invested in that. And we're seeing edtech companies are reporting huge interest both locally and internationally, and most established companies are experiencing real increase in demand for their services, and early-stage companies are struggling a little bit because they've not had the opportunity to build those relationships yet. So I think the pandemic has shown that Lots of education providers have been wanting to digitise their programs and have been on a path. And I feel like it's a, an accelerant of that. You'll accelerate those processes.
0: You sure, Will, and um, I'm, I think your point is, is very timely about the, the relative state of different providers in their um, digital preparedness, I think you, you termed it as. I, um, I recall a friend said to me uh, early on as the pandemic hit, uh, and we were discussing this, she said, uh, Claire, I was cleaning the office the other day, and, you know, she pulled up, we were doing a, a Zoom catch-up, and she pulled out a certificate from Mount Gravatt TAFE, which was <laughs> about online learning, and that was from 20-plus years ago. So it's true that this is this is not new tech. There is heaps of new technology, but the idea of uh, more digital Um, enabled education has been around for a long time and some are much further um, advanced than others. Now you've just finished hosting a major uh, EdTech Summit and I should uh, disclose here that I was um, privileged to be invited to to speak and also uh, to moderate a, a discussion summit so thank you very much for that. I wonder if uh, for those who um, either didn't attend or were only able to sample parts of it, could you share with us some of the key themes or lessons that you took from the summit this year?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, and again, thank you for participating. Thank you for being both a speaker and a moderator. And I feel like whilst there are some formal learnings and we'll get to them in a second, I think the the, the biggest thing that I learnt in the summit is that, we, we may be seeing the sort of model that summits will always be held in, which is an you know, overt component with maybe always some face-to-face. That's my gut feeling. I think we'll always have some face-to-face and uh, simulcast online at the same time. But as far as education and technology is concerned, I feel like we, we sort of went in there with key four key focuses for the conference. Really edtech entrepreneur in Australia and the global connections and where does Australia sit in that sector? And Institution digital readiness and the opportunity that can come from that. You know, how does technology connect students to employment through education institutions? Because I think that's an incredibly important area of conversation. And then, you know, what do we need to do to change to create this engaging digital learning experiences? So, if they're the sort of the four themes that we had going in, I think the key learnings we took from that is. If we look at Australia's place, we have six hundred Australian edtech companies that are making impacts locally and internationally. We know these six hundred companies employ approximately thirteen thousand people and generate two point two billion dollars worth of revenue, and that every Australian edtech company that's generating more than two or three million dollars of revenue are exporters, and some of them are generating. I think the industry average is about thirty-seven percent of their revenue is from offshore. So, Australia's sector is closely connected to those global mega trends increasing student engagement, increasing student outcomes, connecting learning to work, utilising emerging technical trends. And we create great products in Australia that are fully featured. So, you know, we're readily adaptable to new markets, we're all underpinned by the exceptional Australian education brand led, in my view, by the global recognition of the AQF. So I think Australia can compete globally. I think that's what we understood about Australia's edtech place. As far as institutional digital readiness, I've already commented a little bit on it, but I think that... um, some key themes that came out was that Australian educators need to be and are considering a digital delivery format within their lessons, programs and courses today. Um, Australian institutions need to think, rethink the price point that they're using when they're engaging offshore markets, especially international students. And if they're going to engage with millions of students or tens of millions of students, they can't or won't be able to uproot themselves if they all have that or can't come on shore. So we're going to have to rethink that digital delivery. The business case for investing in digital products and platforms within an institution has been made, right? Executives now need to decide how much they're going to invest in these platforms because that's the reality. We're doing that right now. Digital curric- curriculums are an asset, and some people may even argue that they're an asset as, uh, as valuable as a new building on a campus or a CBD campus for a university in Australia. And if we start to think about how does technology connect students to employment through education institutions, which is such a huge global mega trend, and it's this connection between um, uh, training and employment, and it's just the future of where we need to be. We heard from Northeastern University from Boston on their partnership model and their investment, actually, with an Australian edtech company, Practera. The Northeastern model of concurrent work and study programs are being driven by technology to such a point that they're not – it goes back to that old joke that you probably, you and I probably both remember, Claire, which is, you know, I liked it so much I bought the company. So, they, they bought into the business. So, there are innovative models coming about. And essentially, the point that Northeastern are making is that students are demanding a work program within their courses. And in fact, Ken Henderson went so far to say that unless universities starts to embed this innovation in their programs, they might have questions about their existence in a few years' time. And then I, I think the, the the final trend was really around this digital transformation, which we've hit on a couple of times. And that is in broad terms, we discussed the opportunity to digitally transform parts of the sector, English language, vet, skills, digital gaps. But we took an opportunity approach, and the opportunity here and abroad, will drive this transformation, not the deficits. So it's the opportunities to engage digitally that will transform curriculums. It's not the idea that we're we're missing out on something. And the ultimate thing really was around providers, both public and private, will see revenue opportunities for engaging learners in in completely new uh, delivery models. We've been talking about micro-credentials for a long time, and the summit really emphasised there's such a huge and acute focus on it. This whole idea of engaging learners in different delivery models is so important.
0: Fantastic! Gosh, what a great uh, synthesis. Thank you very much for, for that. And then, um, I didn't get to the session um, uh, that you've mentioned uh, with Northeastern University and Practera, and but I'm struck by that as a um, such a useful model for higher education to need to adapt to and, and having railed against uh, the, the, you would think experiential learning uh, done digitally and done well would be also critical in the VET sector. And yet, you know, I've been railing against in a recent column uh, that unfortunately the VET sector is very hampered in its embrace of digital through rules that are are set by, by others and in industry. Um, so, thank you. You've given... Such a forward and future uh, sense of things um, with that that recap, and I think you've also uh, touched quite a lot uh, on what was going to be my last question for you. Before
1: you before you jump into that, Claire, oh, I do yeah. want to go back. Your you, your point around the the, the Ken Henderson Northeastern conversations yeah. really important. I I think because because our audience is predominantly um, Australian domestic providers, and I know you have reached oh. into other markets. There is a really interesting partnership model there. If you connect this thing that we talked about earlier around future partnerships, there, there is something very interesting about, hey, I can partner to do something with my institution, but it provides a bigger input to an entity like a Practera or to a sector as a whole. Because can uh, shared And I'm probably going to get the number wrong, but it's north of 90% of students who graduate from Northeastern three years post graduation are employed in the sector that they studied in. And his view. And the view of Northeastern is that's very much connected to their, um, I think they called a, call it a co-op. Their work integrated learning unit was called a co-op. And it's a really interesting idea. They have got they want to transform, some, transform something in their teaching and learning. They found a tech solution to help them do that, and then they've gone and invested in that business. It's really interesting.
0: Sure is sure, and um, you know even more so the the emphasis on those really strong employment outcomes. Uh, again, as the the world grapples with uh, the the impact that uh, COVID has had on um, employment and economic activity, so definitely uh, one to watch. But also that broader signal to um, other Australian both education providers and um, and edtech players. And so, uh, yes, I think uh, you've probably answered much of this, but uh, do share any other thoughts that you have. So my my last question uh, is really how the Australian ed tech sector is placed compared with what's happening elsewhere in the world. You've given some stats about its size and contribution. Um, clearly, it's still in its infancy relative to, you know, larger um, ed tech ecosystems in the US and China and India and elsewhere, but, you know, they're bigger places. So how are we placed any any insights or thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I, I think that we're, we're well placed in that we've done lots of the prep work already and, and I think the future is there for us to be part of. And I mentioned it right up at the front here, but edge of growth is not an entity that started out of the pandemic. So it's not a response to the pandemic. To, to the pandemic. Um, we were founded four years ago by great innovators, Monash, Deacon, Latrobe, Griffith, Charles Sturt and Navitas, to drive a digital education narrative. And this has allowed EduGrowth to drive some of that narrative over the last years. And even right now, like the last year has been all about producing more and more on that narrative. So Australia is well well placed through decades of public policy around our national investment in education international education initiative specifically and that work has allowed an extension to the edtech capability i don't think edtech is a new capability it's part it's an extension and evolution of that work and in simple terms um australia is an emerging market as far as edtech is concerned but we're well connected to the markets that are two of the three big dominant ones you mentioned china i think you mentioned india as well these are India is a really good example of it. This is a sleeping giant that's awoken, and it's actually, it's, it's going to be driving really, really hard over the next five or ten years, and, and you know, we keep talking about this emerging middle class in India. Well, it's going to be bigger than, than some of the numbers we initially think. And I'll, I'll conclude by saying the following. Tim Fry of the Da Vinci Institute predicted that by 2030 the largest company on the internet will be an education company. And I don't see why that can't be an Australian company. I don't see why we can't be that entity. We produce incredible products. We have a reputation for great education and we're an innovative co- economy. There's there's no reason why an Australian company could not be one of those. The what policy if- settings are there. The systems are there.
0: Go ahead, Tim. Oh no, I I sorry, I had I had thought you'd finished. I was going to no, say thank okay. you for the inspiration. Keep going, please.
1: No, no, that's it. I, I think that's my point. The, the The point is that Australia does compete internationally really well. And you'll you'll have the better numbers than I Claire, but I'm pretty sure we're the third um, uh, highest ranked destination for international students. When you go the US, the UK, and then us, uh-huh. so there's no reason why we need to be the fifth or the tenth largest edtech economy. Like the reality is it's it is an exporter today, and it's there's there's no reason why Australia can't plan that space. We have some incredibly large Australian companies that have sort of laid some groundwork for it. Our institutions globally recognized with our fantastic brand reputation. Partnerships. And this is this goes back to the edge of growth um, tagline. Connect, collaborate and accelerate. You know, we want to build this connection so that it can be collaboration across this sector. And it will accelerate the whole thing for everyone.
0: Um, you have been a great inspiration with that uh, assessment and I think underpinned by um, your data um, from the uh, most recent survey showing the proportion of uh, revenues that Australian ed tech companies are already earning uh, from uh, from offshore um, partnerships and uh, and arrangements. So definitely no reason why um, Australian edtech can't uh, power on and uh, and do more. David, for those people who aren't yet familiar with uh, what you guys do, we'll include. Um, the website link to the Edge Growth website in the notes for this episode uh, so people can easily find you. Um, I wanted to thank you very much for taking the time to give us a bit of a stock take on what's happening in the sector and, and what you think comes next. And you've gone further by, hopefully, inspiring people, whether you're in education, to get more involved in continuing to develop uh, your digital capability and if you're in the edtech sector uh, there's a huge champion there um in you and your team at at Edgy Growth saying the sky is the limit so thank you very much for your for your time take care and I look forward to catching up again
1: thanks very much clip